At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 383rd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is reducing food waste and feeding plants at the same time. We're talking with Josh Krenz about fertilizer made from grocery store waste. Josh is the CEO and founder of Vivid Life Sciences, a plant physiology company offering Life Force as one of their brand products. He knows the business of farming from both sides, from large-scale sophistication with companies like Land O'Lakes to bootstrapping startups. Farmer Josh follows his heart when tending his Highland cattle, organizing trips to the farm for local schools and charity events, or helping his wife's veterinary clinic. At the same time, he calculates his path forward with a head for business and a vision to bring more sustainability and performance to plant nutrition. He has worked in the fertilizer business a long time and is focusing on trying to reduce food waste while repurposing it into fertilizer. Welcome to the show today, Josh. Are you ready to rock food waste? Absolutely, Greg. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Absolutely. So I'm just a farm kid from western Wisconsin. I grew up on a traditional dairy farm with 50 cows and about 300 acres where we grew all of our own crops to feed the cows. And that was back in a time where you woke up at five in the morning to go milk cows, go to school, come home, go to football practice, do chores 
come back home and milk the cows again. I was at a point in my life where I thought, well, you know, this waking up every morning at five and milking cows every night at nine wasn't maybe going to work for me. So I had a little sit down with my grandfather and he said, well, if you want to do something else in life besides farming, there's lots of things you can do, but you're going to have to go to school to do it. So I set off from the dairy farm in Western Wisconsin, where I grew up in and went to the University of Wisconsin River Falls, where I majored in agriculture marketing and spent a lot of time there kind of seeking out what was it that I wanted to do when I grew up. And from there, I went and worked in the advertising industry for a little while, helping multinational companies do advertising and marketing for products that were sold to farmers. So it'd be companies that you might have heard of like Dow, DuPont, people like that. And then went and worked for Land O'Lakes for 10 years in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and worked in several different divisions there. A lot of people know Land O'Lakes is the dairy food company. Right. I actually worked in their crop inputs business. So crop inputs meaning seed, fertilizer, crop protection products, all of those things. And for the last five years that I was there, I went back to school got an MBA, worked in a lot of their different business units, managing different things. And then the last one, which I really enjoyed, I managed their multinational fertilizer business. Oh, wow. And was a huge opportunity, learned a ton, and it really brought me in to better understand fertilizer from where it starts at the component. Having grown up on a farm and having a garden and all of those things myself, I knew about the end use of it, NPK and micros and secondaries and so forth. But getting on the manufacturing component of it really taught me where our fertilizers come from today and the sources that we're currently getting fertilizer from. Wow. That all led me to Minnesota. And during somewhere in that period of time, I also started a grass-fed beef operation that I live on in Minnesota with my wife, Maria, and my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Hadley, and my nine-month-old son. Brixton. We farm about 100 acres. We run it all in grass pasture and run about 45 head of cattle that we 100% finish out on grass, which we use fertilizer. Some of them we're going to talk about today Mm -hmm. that we use to help bolster that pasture and then rotate the cattle accordingly. And then we sell that grass-fed beef to local customers here in Minneapolis, including a couple restaurant grocery store type folks as well. That's a little bit of how I've gotten into agriculture and fertilizer. And it's really a passion for what I live for every day. Yeah, I can tell. So there's so many places we could go here at this point, but the first place I want to go is to grandpa. So it sounds to me like you came right back around and you're back on the farm. Yeah. Years later, my grandfather just passed away last fall and he was a farmer his entire life. And that's part of where I learned to work hard throwing hay bales and learning to treat cattle the right way and so forth. But one of the things he told me, another piece of advice later when I talked to him about that very same thing, you know, you follow your passion, you follow what you love. And at heart, I'm a farmer. Customers know me as Farmer Josh. Nice. And my grandpa said, hey, you know, going to college, that's what you needed to do because, and this is his words, when I was your age, being back to when he was 18, 20, uh-huh. he said, and if you didn't know how to do anything, you became a farmer because most of the population farm when he grew up. Right. Today, less than 1% of the population actually works in production agriculture. And so his advice, he said, if you were ever going to farm, and he said, I knew you would, you needed to go to school because today's farmers are sophisticated and use technology and use all kinds of different components. And farming is really a science. The only way you're going to get that education was to go to school and get off the farm. So again, wisdom shows through my grandfather. He was a pretty smart guy. Nice. How sweet that is. So the other thing from your intro that I kind of want to touch on is you have a 
deep knowledge and experience about fertilizers and where fertilizers come from. Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the things when I was at Land Lakes, the division that I worked in was called Winfield. And, you know, I had production facilities that I worked with, three fertilizer production facilities and plants and had a very large team of people that sourced raw materials from all over the world. It was a really great opportunity, good company to work for. I, I learned a lot of things, but I traveled mm-hmm. for three years. You know, I went to India looking at manganese. I went to California looking at boron mines. So I spent a lot of time learning about the manufacturing of fertilizer, both what I would call maybe the good and the efficiencies, but also some of the things that I personally thought could be improved in the process. And then that's actually when I left Land Lakes three years ago and started Vivid Life Sciences, which is the fertilizer company that I run today with my team to create sustainable fertilizer options. Right. Wow. Well, I'll say that you actually aren't working on sustainability. You're going farther than that. My listeners know I'm not a great big fan of the word sustainability because sustainability simply sustains the mess that we've created for ourselves. Sure. There's a concept that goes farther than that that's called regenerative, where we're actually regenerating systems. What you're doing is you're taking a waste stream and you're converting it into a fertilizer that then goes to grow more food that would create more of a waste stream that would turn into fertilizer, you know, and on and on. Right. No, that's a great point, Greg, because as a country, the United States, we waste 130 billion pounds of food per year. 130 billion pounds of food. That's 4,100 pounds a second. That's a car a second worth of food, if you think about it that way. You know, I'm getting chills all the way down to my feet because you're right. It's crazy. Yeah. And having worked, you know, for a food company in Land Lakes before, I sat through a lot of sessions where we talked about how do we, you know, do our part as a farmer cooperative owned. And then, you know, just myself being a gardener, we grow most of everything that we have on our farm and with our grass-fed beef operation. You know, other countries actually waste less food than we do because we're actually pretty particular and picky about our food in the U.S. Like when we go to a grocery store, we expect perfection. Mm -hmm. What I just talked about in that 130 billion tons a year that gets wasted during that component of that, we're not even talking about just the stuff that's in the grocery store. We're talking about things before it got to the grocery store because it quote unquote didn't make great. Right. Because the potatoes were too small. Because the banana had a speck on it. Right. Because the tomato had a starburst on one side of it, which is caused by sunburn, which is completely edible. We just as a country have got accustomed to perfection in our everyday lives and what we do. And it seems to have carried on to the grocery store as well. And so we waste a lot of food compared to other countries. Yeah. And this is called pre-consumer waste. Mm -hmm. There's also a huge amount of post-consumer waste from restaurants and grocery stores and stuff that gets processed to some point. And then, you know, there's extra and that gets thrown away. Right, exactly. And there are some solutions out there where people have started composting or they've started different ways to address that. We started with the grocery store waste because it's very homogenous. Grocery stores are diets throughout the year, mm-hmm. whether it's Christmas time or whether it's the 4th of July, we tend to eat a lot of the same foods in this country. Oh, right. You know, one day it comes from Florida. The next day it comes from Minnesota. The day after that comes from Chile. The day after that comes from California, but it's all watermelon per se, right? Right. And you can eat watermelons year round. So because of that, grocery stores waste 
pretty similar amounts of the same amount of food year round. And that's part of the secret in the sauce before you make a fertilizer is you have to overcome the manufacturing part of it with having a consistent raw material. Right. So we simply look at grocery store food waste as a raw material in its simple form in institutional waste. And one of your other podcasts, guests that you had talked a little while ago about his work in, you know, working with elementary schools and food. And that is so different. And a lot of that food has also been processed. So it's not a consistent raw material stream. Interesting. It absolutely makes sense. That's a brilliant piece of this pie. Yeah, it's part of what really makes this work is we've teamed with leading grocery store manufacturers with our partner on this. Our partner is a company called Wyzerg. Wyzerg is out of Washington State. What it really is, is it's a bunch of former Microsoft employees who got together and said, you know, one of the ways that we can reduce food waste is if we have better metrics on what's being wasted at the grocery store. So the grocery store can order better. That was the logic behind it. Oh my gosh. So they've created these giant compactors, basically is what they look like. And they run them today in 15 grocery stores within the Seattle, Washington area. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they've got monitors on each one of these compactors that monitor everything that goes into it. And so then every single thing that goes into it, whether it's a quarter of a pound of a banana, or if it's, you know, three pounds of oranges, or if it's six pounds of avocados, they measure it all. And then that allows a truck to go out every single day to a different grocery store and pick out from that grocery store that raw material that day because we needed more citrus and avocados that day versus needing more husks of sweet corn. Right. Because, you know, all plants have that nutrient value left in them. That's why you eat plants, right? Yeah. You get all that nutrient value out of it. Well, it still has a different nutrient value depending on the plant itself, right? Some things are higher in potassium than other things, right? Right. Bananas are very high in potassium. If you're a sprinter or runner, go eat a banana before you run a race, right? Yep. So whereas an orange isn't. If you had too much oranges one day and too much bananas, we have to run a different truck out that day. And we do that across these 15 different stores. So then we create a consistent raw material. And that monitoring system was the reason that this works. Wow. In that process, did the grocery stores, they were able to reduce their waste, but we were then able to capture a raw material stream to turn it into a rejuvenated fertilizer, right? So that's what we were able to do in that process. Wow. So this is called Vivid Life Sciences. You are a plant physiology company, and it sounds like you're collecting food waste from Seattle. Yes, we are. Wow. All right. So how did you do this? How did it happen? This is brilliant, by the way. When I started Vivid Life Sciences with some partners of mine three years ago, we really started to look at based off my past experience, having looked at raw materials from across the world, we said, hey, conventional farming, you know, has gotten us here to a certain point, but we all know that we need to be better, right? And we need to be more managed more from a biological standpoint of what the soil needs and what the plants need. And the only way we're going to do that and actually take a step back from what I'd call conventional farming uh-huh. and make products that work across all platforms is to rehash where we're getting our raw materials. And so we started that with a series of other products before the Life Force products, but we were looking for raw material streams to turn into things. And we met with the Wiser folks. We met each other 18 months ago. We learned about each other because they had a passion for reducing food waste at the grocery store. And we have a passion for taking anything out of the food 
food waste stream. And doing something with it. Yeah. We have other products that are taking cow manure and making it into a more palatable and usable form for the soil, which is a very high carbon source. And we have another product that takes amino acids out of the rendering process when we, you know, process animals, mm-hmm. right? So we're making those all into different products. That's really been a theme of ours for Vivid Life Sciences is to go and seek partners that have a raw material form. And then we go and work with them and turn it into a fertilizer source or some other source that works for the plant to help it make it grow better or help it, you know, in some cases yield more or yield a better quality at the end of the day, fruit, vegetable, grain, whatever we're growing. Right. And that's the plant physiology part. Yes, correct. Nice. So how's it going? You said 18 months ago you ran across these guys in Seattle. Yeah. And so 18 months ago and last year we started bringing the product into broad agriculture. So we started bringing it to farmers that are corn and soybean farmers. And your listeners probably have different perceptions of people that are larger scale farmers. But, you know, farmers in general want to do the right thing. Yes. They just need to be presented with the solutions to do the right thing. So one of the things I didn't mention about this product technology yet is it's Omri certified organic and it is in a form that the plants can actually easily and readily use the nutrients immediately. So it's actually a more efficient use of fertilizer because traditionally when you fertilize a field or use compost or something, right, it's got the plants take it up. The plants then have to use photosynthesis. They convert it over to a nutrient available form of a nitrogen, a potassium, a phosphorus, a zinc, a magnesium, a boron. You can keep going down the list. Mm -hmm. And then they shoot it back down to the roots and then the plant utilizes it. Well, in this case, because the life force products come from food it's already been converted over it's already in a nutrient available form it's actually very high in amino acids so when we took this out to conventional farmers they were able to see an immediate response from this fertilizer because when they sprayed it on their plants they could see the results right away right like in soybeans which would be like if we grew another legume in your garden they could see more beans in a pot right be like putting more peas in your snow peas That's what we saw last year. And then this year, we've now taken it to the consumer market. We've taken it to turf and ornamental. Mm -hmm. And we're also taking it to the cannabis market as well. So one of our goals in Vivid Life Sciences was to create those lower impact products out of the waste stream, but be able to use them across multiple audiences. So a lot of companies can make an organic product that can be sold to consumers, but it's too cost prohibitive to sell to a conventional farmer because the conventional farmer has pretty tight constraints around them when it comes to cost because one of the other things that this country likes is cheap food. Oh, yes. We don't pay for our food like in a lot of countries pay a premium for. You know, we spend a lot less of a wallet share of our dollars on food than we do anything else. So farmers margins are pretty constrained to begin with. A lot of these organic products or products that are maybe organic or more sustainable that cost more to make, farmers can't necessarily use them. We've created through the Life Force brand these products made from grocery store food waste that are also economical and can be used on a large scale for farmers. So then therefore it can go through all of our audiences from consumer all the way to a farmer. So you guys were sweet enough to send me a Life Force one one. It looks like a quart. Yes. I have it here in my hand. The big thing of note is that this is a liquid and the bottle that I'm holding, you hook it up to a hose and spray it right on the plants. Yeah, that's right, Greg. So the product is liquid. That's part of what 
makes the nutrients plant available mm -hmm. they're all water soluble they're right there in the water so that the plant can absorb them right away so what you've just described there is you've got a hose and sprayer on the bottle you're a gardener right oh yeah you can go out to your urban farm and you can hook up your water to the nozzle and then right on the bottle it's got an on switch for just water and then it's got on for the fertilizer oh yes you switch it all the way on to the fertilizer and then you spray your plants and you spray it really quick when you use a hose and sprayer like this uh -huh. one of the things that people do is over fertilize a little bit because they just keep it on fertilizer until the thing's empty yep this is actually made that you want to use it every five to ten days so you just want to really squirt your plants real quick and then set it back to watering mode if you're going to use it to water your plants Oh, got it. If you're putting it on to just water as if you're putting fertilizer at the same time, you'll go through that bottle in five to 10 minutes. Right. And that bottle should do the equivalent of about an acre. So oh, if you think wow. about that, you should be able to do, you know, if you had a 20 by 20 plot garden or 20 by 100 garden, you should be able to do that for the whole summer. If you're just squirting it on real quick and not using it as a watering can is what you're trying to do with it. So that's one of the things about this in the consumer package. We try to make it easy for home gardeners and it works on fruits, vegetables. You can use it on your lawn. You can use it on your landscape, all of those things. I want to really point out the liquid part of this because what this has become is a foliar feed where the plants are actually taking it in right through their leaves, which is really important these days, is it not? Yeah, that's absolutely important and that allows you to be able to feed through the season it also allows the nutrients to be uptaken immediately and to be utilized immediately because it's in that liquid form mm -hmm. when you're putting out that dry fertilizer or even a compost a lot of people compost that's how they're reducing food waste we need those people too by the way this isn't the only solution for food waste right so when you put anything into the soil it has to break down in order to be able to be utilized by the plant right it needs to become in a nutrient available form for the plant. And then the plant has to utilize its root system. You know, it has a cation anion exchange with those different nutrients. This, when you're doing foliar feeding, immediate uptake, you don't have to worry about that time period it takes for the fertilizer to break down. And you'll see a response from that plant faster in the form of greening up or more flowers, more buds, or retaining those flowers or buds longer. Perfect. So this bottle here, by the way, I'm really excited to use it. It's a quart and you said that it's going to last me the entire summer up to a couple hundred square feet using it every 10 days or so. What's this going to cost me? The quart is available on our website, Amazon for $29.95. Perfect. And that's a great price for a foliar fertilizer that's going to last your garden a summer. That is perfect. Yep. And again, it's in that liquid form, so it's easily to be used. And the key component of is remember, it's a fertilizer. You're not watering with it. So if you keep that on the fertilizer switch for five to 10 minutes, you will empty the bottle out. Right. I mean, it should literally be seconds because it sprays that fast. So it shouldn't take you very long to fertilize at all. It's one of the other convenient factors of it is you can cover a lot of ground really quickly. Got it. Keep that in mind when you're using Life Force. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. No one likes to admit failure, Greg. But, you know, at some point in time, failure means different things to different people. And, and for me, I would say one of the times that I failed was actually going back to my days at Land O'Lakes. And I talked about the opportunity to go to all these different countries and really, you know, see all these different manufactured plants and see different raw materials. Right. I'd say one of my failures in that was I was flying 150,000 miles a year. 
Wow. For me, that was a personal failure because I wasn't able to farm like I wanted to. My grass-fed business started to not do as well. My pastures needed more renovation because I wasn't there to do all that. And so the failure for me was taking on too many things at once and not having the right priorities. And, you know, that actually was my reset in life. And that was when I left Land O'Lakes. It was a great opportunity. I saw a lot and I learned a lot that allowed me to start Vivid Life sciences and then do these next things, but I should have never been traveling that much and spending that much time away from home. Yeah. But in retrospect, and without having done that, you wouldn't have gotten there, right? It is, right? And so that's in a failure. It's all by definition of a person's idea of a failure, right? Mm -hmm. For me, yeah, there was a lot of great learnings and that's where I make lemonade out of lemons, right? Yep. In this case, if I were to do it all over again, I could have learned a lot of those lessons maybe by not traveling as much and still being here, mm -hmm. but I didn't know that at the time. That's why it's called a failure. You didn't know what you were going into until after you got out. The reason I asked this question is because failures really, in my mind, aren't failures. They're opportunities to learn. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Making lemonade out of lemons, right? It's exactly. what you do with that. Yeah. Did you learn anything from the knowledge? And that's where, you know, people say they haven't failed their liar. <laughs> they just haven't learned to admit it to themselves or to other people around them. And that's the only way that you learn, right? Right. We're going to fail some more in life, so you better get used to it. Yeah, exactly. Or they're not going to learn very much. Right. So what do you consider your biggest success? For me personally, and everyone defines success differently, for me, the biggest success is still to be 100% determined, but I'm trying to set it up to be successful. And I'll explain that. I was raised on a farm and we talked a lot about that at the beginning and we talked about my grandfather. And so one of the goals in life for me is I wanted my children to be raised on a farm. What I'm hoping will be one of my biggest successes, and they're only two and a half and nine months, so we don't know yet, right. is that I was able to instill in them what I'll call farm values, work ethic, treating people right, platinum rule, all of those types of things, and being able to show them how to raise livestock, show them what they're there for, show them how to raise them properly, how we take care of them. You know, they regenerate the land, what we do with that, showing them how to garden. I had my daughter out yesterday. We were picking tomatoes. It was our first tomatoes of the season in Minnesota. That's pretty exciting for us here. I think I've been successful in setting up the experience. The outcome is still yet to come. Yeah. Are you familiar with the name Joel Salatin? I'm not. He is an amazing regenerative farmer. You might check out his work. He's also done a couple of podcasts with me. Okay. For the same reasons he lives on a farm to raise his kids on a farm. And so when you were sharing about raising your kids on a farm, I was thinking back to my interview with him because he's so determined to do that as well. Sure. I'll have to go listen to the podcast with him. It's amazing what he's done. So Joel Salatin's podcast is number 310. And I actually called it Who Needs a Title? This is Joel Salatin. So go out and check that out. Episode 310 on the podcast. Awesome. I'll check that out, Greg. Perfect. So what drives you? You know, for me, and for a lot of people, you can say family, we can talk about kids, but I take it one step further. Everything that I do today is for my family. But one of the things long term is, and it's cliche, is you want to leave the world in a better place than you found it. But more specifically, one of the big growing issues that we're going to have is population growth and how to feed that population. Yeah. What I wake up every morning and I jokingly tell people when I'm in meetings talking about fertilizer is I'm just here to help feed the world today. Mm -hmm. That's what I woke up to do this morning. So if we can, you know, reduce food waste to help do that, 
that or if we can help grow more sustainable in a different way. That's really what I get up every morning for is the challenge of how do we not take everything in the same box? How do we take it outside of that? And how do we grow better? How do we provide better solutions for people that grow food? That's what I do every day. Beautiful. It's interesting having this conversation where it's like 35 minutes in at this point and so many of the things that you speak about and the ways of being that you are, they parallel what I've been up to because my goal is to transform our global food system and not by replacing you know the mechanical industrial food system because right now that's what's feeding us, but to provide better solutions. And it sounds like you're up to the same thing. Yep, that's what we're trying to do. And what I always tell people is based off of where we're at in population growth, we actually need all of the systems. Yes, absolutely. We need the production agriculture. We need to be as efficient and do it in a practice that is as best as possible for generations to come in the land and everything else that we do for. But we also need people to be more active in their own personal food life, right? There are so many people who could garden who don't or who could support a local farmer's market or somebody who gardens and who don't. There are so many different food systems right now, and you do it all the time with your podcast and see people growing food in different ways. We just need all the systems, and we need them to work efficiently, and we need them to work in harmony together. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well said. Thank you. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? So one of the books that I can't put down right now, Greg, it's called The Biological Farmer. That's by Gary Zimmer, who, like myself, was a dairy farmer in western Wisconsin. So that's probably why I like him. He's a fellow cheesehead. Uh-huh. But Gary, in his book, he really talks about being sustainable, but also profitable. Because one of the things I talked about earlier in our line of organic fertilizers and Life Force brand is farmers have lots of solutions, right, that consumers use today in, that are OMRI certified, that are organic, but they can't afford to use them in what we were just talking about in our food system where we need all the work in harmony and we need all systems to be running full gear. And what Gary really hits on in his book is he talks about farmers and he's really focused at conventional farmers, but anybody who has a backyard garden can learn about this in about different components in his book. Mm-hmm. But he really hits on and talks specifically about what NPK does. What is the role of magnesium? What does iron do? So he hits on all of the nutrients. He talks about organic matter. He talks about humic acids. He talks about all of the tools you have to grow something. And he really brings that out and then focuses on how do you grow it economically? Because the two can live together. Well, and the two almost have to live together because if you're not financially prosperous doing this, you're not going to be around long enough to feed us long term. That's right. But there's a lot of people who have great aspirational goals and we see companies pop up and pop out, you know, left and right because they didn't figure that part out. Yeah. So Gary's book is about if you're going into farming, even if you're just starting a business, right? There's a lot of business principles in here. You got to have eyes wide open. Right. And then he starts to really get into what do nutrients do? What does soil biology do and how do you learn and live within it so that you can make money? I'm a product of Arizona State University. I graduated there in 2006 with a master's degree. And around that time, they were starting up the School of Sustainability at Arizona State University. And they were really drilling into the students the three pillars of sustainability. Mm -hmm. And it's people, planet, and profit. Right. 
without that profit piece in place, it's not going to be successful long term. That's right. Yeah. People always hit on the first two. Yep. But sometimes they forget about the third one. But you're absolutely right. If anything is going to actually be sustainable, quote unquote, mm-hmm. it's got to be economical. That's part of the definition of the term, really. Right. You know, some people miss the third piece, the profit part, but some people have a problem with making a profit. And from my permaculture perspective, profit in nature is my apple tree in my backyard putting off 400 pounds of apples. When you take a look at nature, nature's profitable. So we have to, I'm going on a tangent here, everybody, I know that, but we have to make sure that we design our businesses to make a profit. Otherwise, they're not going to be around long-term to serve us. Would you not agree? Yeah, I would 100% agree with you, Greg. And even if you're a backyard grower and even if you picked up some Life Force 111 type product or another organic product and you're putting it out there, even if you're not selling your apples, right? What you just talked about is called return on investment. Yep. Well, your definition of return on investment was how much applesauce you're going to make off that tree. Right, or apple chips. Yeah, or apple chips, right? Or apples for apple pie. Or last night at my house, we were picking cherries and we made a cherry pie. Yay! And now my daughter doesn't know that you need to just pick the red ones. She's got a bunch of yellow ones in the bucket too, but that's okay. Right, exactly. But her return on investment was how many cherries she got in her bucket, right? Yeah. People can't get hung up on the dollar. They got to get hung up on what the return is. Exactly. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? At the end of the day, we talked about our passions, right? Everybody needs to find what their passion is and they need to do it, right? Which has been said a million times. But for me, if I had a piece of advice is I would tell people to start listening more in the food system because if this food system is going to work in harmony, Mm -hmm. I would say today that components of the food system are still in silos and we need to do a better job of opening doors, listening on both sides of the aisle, political term. But really, you know, my advice to people would be really listen. If you know somebody who's doing a garden themselves, listen to them, take their advice, listen to the things that they've learned from, listen and what they haven't done yet and where they're going to move on to next. If you meet a farmer, talk to a farmer. Don't learn about, you know, agriculture online or on Facebook or even just on Greg's podcast. Right. You got to go talk to people and really go face to face. That would be my advice. I think it's real easy in today's world for people to be complacent and not talk to the other food systems. And we really need to do a better job of doing that. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, you know, we have this industrial food system and some people might be proponents of a eliminating it, but it's what feeds us right now. And as you so eloquently said, we've all got to work together and figure them all out from the backyard farmer all the way to the industrial farmer. That's right. And we can all do our part, right? Even if it's just taking the scraps off of your table and making sure they don't go into a landfill. Mm -hmm. And because someday we're going to mine landfills. Sounds crazy, but someday we're going to mine landfills, not just for the nutrient value, but probably for plastic and everything else that got put in them. Right. But right now, that 130 billion tons of food that we're putting in the landfills, we really need to do our part to do that. And by doing that, if nothing else, you've participated in the farming system in the U.S. at that point in time. And so everybody can help at some point. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Josh. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? They can get a hold of us and learn more about uh, Life Force or any of the other things that we're up to at lifeforce.organic. 
Oh, nice. And that has our full contact information on there. And then go check it out and send me an email and we'd be happy to get in touch. Perfect. And I have a challenge for my listeners out there. Go to lifeforce.organic and buy yourself this Life Force 111 fertilizer. Use it, document it, and send it over to me to tell me how well it's doing for your garden. Awesome. Yes, thank you. So you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash life force. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and so many more places. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.